Paddy Anthony, your boat from the Southern Hemisphere. Have you ever had to punch a kangaroo in, in the face? Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. On today's show, we're going to answer the big questions. Is whatever we do, did or will do in the future predecided, or do we have complete control over our actions? Is it better to be honest and fail or cheat and succeed? And the really, really, really big one. Just what the hell was that Celtic fan doing throwing a burger at a horse? Who throws a burger at a horse? Here to talk about all of that and more is Lewis Ambrose. Hello. Paddy Higgs. Hello. Two well-oiled members of the One Football Newsroom team. As well as that, we have podcast debutant and Deutsche Welle Bundesliga producer extraordinaire and cricket commentator, as I learned on the way to the podcast. It's Anthony Howard. Hey. No A-team or darts references this week, Paddy. That'd be good because uh, both of which I know very little about. Okay. What we do have, though, is a request. Now, if you're out there wondering what to get your third favourite podcast crew for Christmas, wonder no more. No, no, it's not those Nadira Jewel satin 3.5 inch covered heel in black with the asymmetrical jewel strap and low dip collar by Manola Blanik. It's much cheaper than that. In fact, all it costs is two minutes of your time. Yes, what we would really like for Christmas this year is for you to go to iTunes, give us the rating we barely deserve and leave a comment to go with their rating. And to those of you who have already done so and helped us make the charts in Jamaica and China, <laughs> thank you very much. Wow. We, really, we really do appreciate it. We really do. Thank you. Jamaica and China. That's nice. impressive, isn't it? Absolutely. There's a lot of people in China. There is a lot of people yeah. in China. <laughs> Not as many in Jamaica, but Not you know. Yeah. Now, this morning was meant to see the draw for the round of 16 in the Champions League. And we were going to guess in detail about who would be going through, who would be going out and all that jazz. But the jerks over at UEFA have only gone and moved all of the event till next Monday. Anyway, here are the 16 teams that made it through. Arsenal, PSG, Napoli, Benfica, Barcelona, Man City, Atletico... Bayern Munich, Monaco, Bayer Leverkusen, Borussia Dortmund, Real Madrid, Leicester City, Porto, Juventus and Sevilla. Now Zinedine Zidane has said he wants to avoid Juventus. Carlo Ancelotti has said he wants to miss Real Madrid. A team which Arsene Wenger reckons Arsenal could get past. So Paddy, I want you to stretch your imagination and uh, imagine you were a Champions League team manager. Which team would you want to avoid? Which team would you like to get? I think all those actual real life managers have a have very good points, of course. Yeah, Atletico Madrid would be one that I'd probably add in. Um, I oh, think yeah. we've seen uh, in European competition over the last couple of years under Simeone that they're a team that's really, really hard to break down, annoyingly hard to break down, but also possess some really, um, f- you know, fantastic uh, attacking threats as well. So for me, it's it's almost the 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 team that seems to be. And let me try and get this in the right way. There's team that seems to be capable of playing against any club around the world and potentially performing. Whereas there's, there's other clubs you might think, oh, well, listen, that's a really good side, but when they come up against Team X, they've got their measure because of these reasons. I think Atletico Madrid can adapt their game or have the game to at least trouble any team in the world. Luis? Yeah, on a similar note, we've seen Europe dominated by the Spanish teams the last few years and probably the, the less obvious one in there would be Sevilla. Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid and Bayern Munich all stand out, but Sevilla have been absolutely brilliant so far this season. They beat Atletico at home a few months ago. They really, really were unlucky to lose to Barcelona at home. In the group stage, they only lost to Juventus when they'd gone down to 10 men and they drew 0-0 in Turin. Jorge Sampaoli has really underlined how brilliant he is in charge of Chile. We see the trouble they're in in World Cup qualifying now since he's left. And they're a team... Built around pressing, really, like we see with the Jurgen Klopp sides. 
it doesn't matter how good you are, Sevilla will aim to bring you down to their level and then beat you in a street fight. That's how they play. They have some fantastic players at the same time. Vieto and Samir Najri has been superb. And I think that they might be one of the smaller names that people will be terrified of facing. It's incredible how well Nazri has done there. Yeah, he's been superb. I don't think his talent was ever in doubt. Maybe his mindset. Or maybe at Man City he was never an important enough player to shine. But under Sampaoli he's sort of been given a free role at the base of midfield with Nzonzi who's a, more of an enforcer. And the, the transition from the defence to attack goes through Nazri almost every single time and is proving dividends. There was that season at Arsenal, of course, when I think Fabregas was injured for quite a bit and he was sort of given the keys to the team and he was absolutely outstanding. I think that might have been it might have been this season uh, he earned his move to Manchester City. Yeah, it was it was that summer, the following summer that Fabregas and Nasri both left uh, and left Van Persie to carry the whole team on his own. Any team you would like to face? Um, the, the two Portuguese sides, Porto or Benfica. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen as well, I think they haven't had a very good season, but a really, really dangerous pressing side. Who They beat Dortmund earlier this year and another team who seem to really bridge the gap when they come up against better teams, whereas uh, Porto and Benfica, who are both doing well domestically this year, but I think we've seen over the last two years now, this is the worst Porto side in over a decade. Great, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I forgot yeah. to ask you, Paddy, what team you would you would like to take on. Yeah, Porto would Porto would definitely be probably top of my list. I think um, they've had a really tough time in the league, um, which is uh, should be their bread and butter. To be honest, there's a lot of poor sides, at least comparatively speaking, when you're Porto um, in the Portuguese league. So them, or I think um, actually Leicester. I think Leicester are running out of a bit of a, a bit of steam at the moment. Um, I think the, the the squad is actually showing that it probably well hasn't anywhere near got the depth that it had last year, even though they did attempt to address that. Um, and I think so. I think those teams. I think Benfica are going to be tough enough to be honest. So I think Porto and, and Leicester would be my two. Leicester for you as well, Anthony. Yeah, I think they're the bu- that bubble's about to burst. I think they can hang on and hang on and hang on. But if you look at the results. Uh, in, in the first half of this year, um, Ranieri's now got a worse record than Mourinho had at this time last year, for which he was sacked. Uh, and I think you can hold on in the cups for so, so for so long to say, okay, we well, you know one big game at a time, we're going to steal ourselves and deliver, which they've done so far. But I'm waiting for the inevitable fall. But looking at the seeded teams, looking at the unseeded teams, I sort of break them down into three areas. The nightmares, of course, would be Real and Bayern. You've, Very actually, bad. Done, you've actually done some proper research there. Well, kind of. <laughs> makes it, me feel bad. It, it's pretty shallow. Yeah. He's also got a very thick notepad, yeah. I would yeah. like to add. This yeah. is only page one. And he's pretty on to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Settle in, boys. Uh, very bad would be Man City, depending on what mood Aguero's in. Is it bad haircut, bad temperament, or an injury? And then the famous underdogs, Porto, Sevilla, Benfica, PSG, and Leverkusen. I think any of those five taking out Sevilla maybe any of the seeded sides would be happy to see those names as opposed to Bayern who look like they're waking up with Lewandowski coming to the prime of his career. He's got five great years behind him, but his best seems to be right now. Yeah, I think Man City is... um, We kind of saw it with Bayern who struggled the first year under Pep in the first half of the season. And Man City, certainly defensively uh, in particular, I think you don't want to face them in February come February, March, April in the later rounds because it's going to click at some point. You've got De Bruyne and Gundogan and Aguero and Silva and eventually these guys are going to get exactly what Guardiola is wanting them to get and I don't want to be the team. I wouldn't want to be the team on the receiving end of that when it all starts to fall into place. I've just realised Lewis looks a bit like Gundogan. 
He does. Doesn't he? Every yeah. time I'm on here, I'm accused of looking like no, someone else. Who did you get the last time? I think it was Lalana. No. no, definitely not Lalana, but it is Gundawan. Disagree. Okay. He, just looks, he just looks like Lewis. There we go. He's yeah. just Lewis. He's just Lewis. <laughs> just our Lewis. Okay. Are you going to give us yours or? Um, the team I wouldn't like to face. Sure. Oh, yeah, that's tricky. Yeah. I think I'm with you. I think you've convinced me on Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. I think that what they've shown over the last few seasons is how brilliant they are in a cup competition when a really solid defence pays a lot of dividends. Uh, and of course, they're devastating on the counter-attack. Uh, so I would go for them. They've obviously got a lot of form uh, mm-hmm. in in the Champions League. They've been in the final twice over the last couple of years. Uh, I think Simeone is probably heading for the exit door there. And I think he'd like to leave with a big trophy. He's yep. obviously been disappointed twice to Real Madrid. So I think them would be the team I would least like to face. Uh, I think Leverkusen would be fairly easy for, yeah, for the rest. I don't think they're... I mean, they got through. They did well uh, to, to knock Spurs out. Some injury problems now too as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think they would be the ones that uh, I wouldn't lose any sleep over. I think... Really, it's good for the Champions League that we can come up with so many different names. It's We've gone through three or four years now where Atleti have made the final twice, kind of surprisingly. Um, but then, other than that, you've had Barcelona, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. I think, I saw, obviously, between them, they're only capable of being 75% of the semi-finalists. I think I saw this week that over the last five years, they have been 60% of the semi-finalists. Oh, you robbed my brilliant start, <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, but finally now... You cut that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, full, the full stat is since 2010, 62.5% of the oh, semi-final places have gone to Bayern, Barca and Real Madrid. We finally, they, those teams look fallible. Uh, and there are teams ready to take their places. And even on an off day for one of them, I think Borussia Dortmund or Arsenal, not for being the best teams in the competition, but having the amount of talent they have would fancy their chances of knocking one of those clubs out this year. And we haven't even really mentioned Juventus yet. So um, <laughs> well. there's, some, there's some okay teams in the, it's still left in the draw. Yeah. The, I was going to tie that brilliant stat that Lewis robbed so terribly from me in, into a question about how everybody enjoyed the group stages this season. Yeah, it's a bit of a snore fest, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It feels like the Champions League starts now at 16. Yeah, yeah That was not the yeah. upper echelons of world they, football. They aren't the close... Because of the, I guess, the financial disparity between Western and Eastern Europe, they aren't close to the best 32 teams mm. in Europe. But Agreed. now we probably, well, we may well have the best 16 or yeah. 14 of the best 16 in Europe facing each other now, but they're not even close to, to being the best 32. That's the problem. That gulf is getting even greater. Yeah. Because in, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it is in seven of the eight groups have I got that right yeah seven of the eight yeah. groups the two wealthiest sides went through there you go. Yeah. the only exception was Spurs was Spurs yeah. <laughs> there was a big whiff of the uh, European Championships to the Champions mm. League so far except I really didn't get as much a kick out of Ludogorets as I did out of Iceland <laughs> so, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good that it's over let's put it that way I, mean, I think the other thing is UEFA have, I think this is the second year that UEFA have brought in this uh, rule that it's not goal difference which sees you above someone if you're level on points but your results against them mm-hmm. which meant we went into the final uh, week this week and 
even though teams were level on points or three points behind, well, they already couldn't leapfrog those above them or mm. couldn't be leapfrogged by whoever was below them. So sort of the last fixture was almost rendered pointless in half the groups. Yeah. Too many groups, I think. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, Lewis, in the latest sign that a massive meteorite is surely hurtling towards Earth with a message of impending doom for the rest of us, Arsenal actually topped their group. Well. <laughs> and in some style too, eh? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, it, Arsenal topped the group the year that Bayern Munich, Real Madrid and... Uh, and who, who PSG as P- well, PSG. Man City. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, if ever you didn't want to top the group, so it it maybe wasn't the year to do it. Uh, but yeah, uh, Alexis and and Ozil have really clicked, and you see a massive, massive difference in the way Arsenal are playing compared to the last two or three or five seasons. I would say since that year we mentioned Nasri and Fabregas were mm-hmm. at the club, and it's so disappointing that they're clicking now because both of them are obviously leaving the club. Oh yeah, we, Alexis uh, is off to China. Yeah, Alexis Ozil is off somewhere else. Alexis Miami, has booked Miami. his flights to yeah. China already. Yeah. And Mesut Ozil, we don't know. Arsene Wenger said yesterday that uh, yesterday we're recording on Friday, so on Thursday, said that the two would be at the club for eighteen more months. I think we can imagine that's a negotiation tactic, and <laughs> Arsenal wouldn't be willing to let either of them go for well for free. And. I'm not yeah. an Arsenal fan, but already my stomach is churning with worry for them. <laughs> right. I, I imagine one will stay. I, I think the problem will be financially, not that Arsenal can't afford to pay the demands of both players, but then if you pay both players, let's say 250 grand a week, then the whole squad wants a pay rise that's nonsense, in line though. with that. But that's nonsense because they're so much better than everybody else in they that are, squad. They are, but they're already so much better than everyone else in the squad on about 140 grand a week. And players are currently on other players in the squad are on 80, 90, 70 grand a week. They're not going to ask for wages parallel to, to Alexis and Ozil. But if Alexis and Ozil are on 250 grand a week, then players are going to want 130 grand a week as opposed to the 70, that 80 that they're on now. And it's an issue there, I think, where Arsenal would then have to give a pay rise to pretty much every member of the squad. And that obviously damages the the whole financial infrastructure. The financial fair play rules for the Premier League have changed this year as well. So, so it's only a certain amount of your income can go on actual wage expenditure, which means Arsenal would be in a bit of trouble financially meeting those requirements if they gave Alexis Anozo what they wanted and tried to sign another big player in the in the coming two or three transfer windows. I think and I'd lean towards at the moment that we'll see one of them sold. And and Ozil will probably stay at the club. Well, if Ozil does go, Ray Wilkins has a suggestion about <laughs> who could replace him. Let yeah. me let me read this out. And this is I, I don't know what he, I can't figure out whether Ray is trolling or not. Here's what he says. I think Jack Wilshire could be the equal of Ozil, if not better. He has total commitment around the pitch. Ozil has wonderful touches. Now wait for this. But when he plays against big teams, <laughs> sometimes you see him go missing. This is Ray Wilkins talking about a World Cup winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a narrative that <sighs> nonsense. Given performances the last couple of years, probably should have died even in the biggest <laughs> of games. Yeah, and also um, the, the narrative of Arsenal being Arsenal. Usually, the media narrative is about two years behind reality. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. and Ray maybe five years behind. And uh, well, certainly and, on Jack Wilshere. Right, but do you think in, in terms of the Arsenal performance? And Arsenal doing an Arsenal, has it really changed? And I, if so, why? Because to me, it's about the mentality of them on the big stage, not their ability. I think, well, Arsenal, the, the, couple of, the last couple of years, the results against the big teams haven't been so bad. And the struggle has been actually winning points that Arsenal should win, especially mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. Um, 
And I think Wenger's seen as a manager based on his first decade, I would say, at the club. Very free-thinking and open and willing to change. And I think, actually, the last few years, the pressure's increased and Wenger's become much, much more conservative with his selections than people are willing to accept because it, it's, it would change their whole concept of him. I, I think he's become that. Arsenal have the last couple of years had a pretty good defensive record and have scored like 20 odd goals in the league alone 20 goals fewer than the seasons previous and that's where there's really a big fallout i think and i think it is those games where arsenal would usually in the in the past Henri and burkamp and that team would would turn up against middlesbrough at home and they'd mm-hmm. score four in the first 30 minutes and then take the second hour off Whereas now Arsenal toil and toil away. I, I think maybe it's a sign that Premier League teams are getting better at the, the lower end of the league. But that's probably where Arsenal drop most points. That I do think they're mentally stronger though. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. The, this this team now doesn't collapse from unlikely positions and comes <laughs> back uh, twice against PSG in the Champions League group stage. Well, let's, let's wait and see what happens in the next round. Uh, elsewhere, Paddy, you and I watched Dortmund against Real Madrid. Not together, unfortunately. <laughs> But it was a thoroughly enjoyable game. Uh, it was. It. Um, I think the first couple of minutes looked like Dortmund were really going to make it entertaining. And then for, I think for about 40, it looked like Real Madrid were, I mean, two levels above. Um, but that second half, it really opened up. Um, Tuchel made a few tactical tweaks, I think. Um, and as a consequence, Real Madrid didn't have quite as much luck on the flanks, um, particularly behind Pulisic as they did in the first half. Um, and uh, yeah, having Royce uh, come on and off the bench certainly added an extra spark. And I think that's where we saw the, the 2-2 result that we did. You watched it too, Anthony? Yeah, the contrast was unbelievable. The first 20 minutes, I felt like I was watching a young journalist do his or her first live cross watching uh, Dortmund because they were fluffing their lines and they looked stiff <laughs> and nervous. And I was sort of riding with them. Pulisic, I think, stood up, but Dembélé was just completely off the ball. I'm actually the opposite. Really? But yeah, I'll, I'll let you finish. Yeah. Right, and I was watching yeah. Marcelo, and I thought this is actually getting embarrassing. I would, I wanted, I wanted to throw the towel in and stop the fight before it got really <laughs> embarrassing. But then contrast that with what they were able to do—the mentality to come back to absorb all of those sort of mental blows. I want to say, I was astonished with Dortmund and, and super impressed. You want to argue against that? Uh, well, actually, I don't need. Don't think I need to. I actually thought Dembele and you know Lewis would have watched it as well. Um, I actually thought Dembele was probably one of the more positive ones, even when uh, Dortmund were struggling. And yes, he loses the ball. <laughs> he does that against when he's having a good game. Um, but uh, I think his pass selection is getting a bit better, and I think we saw signs of that as it as he grew into the game. Um, and but I thought I thought Pulisic was the one who struggled the most. I think he got caught out of position. He got pulled out, and they found a lot of luck behind him. Real Madrid. I, I think that Dembele he he was coming off his best game for Dortmund as well at the weekend against uh, Gladbach, uh, and he looked he looked lost in the number ten position. He, mm-hmm. he didn't know where to pick up the ball, but he kind of figured it out the the second yeah, half agreed. I thought yeah. and and then the Dembele has been a big problem for Tuchel I think all season long because he's never 7 out of 10 he's 3 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 <laughs> or he does both three times separately in one match and there have been games English stats brings to mind where Dembele has looked like the he shouldn't be in the league let alone on that pitch but you just know, and then he turns the game around, he does something, there's something out of nowhere and he sort of turns it on his head because of this uh, talent that no defence can seem to contain. 
What I would say is that I think to play as a number 10, I think you've got to be a bit more of a mature player and a Correct. bit more of an experienced Correct. player to be able yeah. to uh, to break down defences like that. Yeah. I think the time for now, for him, he's best out wide. Uh, about Pulisic, I, I'm with you on that one. I thought he looked overawed for, for much mm-hmm. of the game. And the, the thought that just kept going back to my mind was that he should go home and just watch Luka, watch, just watch videos of Luka Modric. <laughs> I cannot get enough of Luka Modric. <laughs> I think he's absolutely brilliant. The way he controls the game, I know there was a couple of uh, stray tackles and one or two odd passes, but the way he plays is just absolutely sensational. I, I really can't get enough. And the fact that I look like him makes him <laughs> even better in my eyes. You got D- David Silva this week as well, didn't you? you got David Silva. Yeah. So that's the two I tend to get, yeah. David Silva and yeah. um, Luca Modric. Luca Modric, principally, we've, got, we, we've both got whopping noses. <laughs> and Oberman Yang, had an, he's had an interesting few days, hasn't he? His mum's had an interesting few days. She's given interviews to everybody. She says, he promised his grandfather that he would play for Real Madrid. I mean, I promised my grandfather a lot of things. <laughs> Since he was a little boy, but he spoke about Madrid and never about Barcelona. My family have always been Real Madrid and I would love to see him in white. A move to Madrid would be lovely. This is a one-sided affair. <laughs> it would be lovely, but this the one-sided <laughs> affair might be key here. It's yeah. a young boy chasing girl, but... Girl, not that interested. Even yeah. if the girl was interested, she's she's banned from registering players for two more transfer windows. <laughs> I mean, by the time Real Madrid can sign anyone, Aubameyang will be twenty nine, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't see them spending. And he'll not be at the end of a contract. His Dortmund contract runs to twenty twenty. Um, I don't see Real Madrid spending seventy eight million on a twenty nine year old striker. Yeah, I, I did some boring homework, hence the backpack, to, oh, to fit all this homework in. More back to the pad. No, you look at the, you look you're, at the, the it's striker. It's the last time you're going to be on here. <laughs> the strikers are available or not available in world football. The top five, Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Suarez and Bale, all in Madrid or Barcelona staying there, not, no hope. Griezmann next down at number six, worth 80 million, 25 years old and is signed till 2021. Maybe that changes if Simeone goes somewhere, but it would take financial dynamite to get him out before... 2018, you would think. Muller, Higuain, probably too old to go somewhere on the massive, massive money, I would have thought. Uh, then you get down to Lewandowski, who is 28 years old. His contract is till June t- 2019, which for a big player, that's the red zone for their contract. If you're not negotiating right now or getting close to signature, there has to be murmurs that he's going somewhere. But he's the only player, when you get down to Aguero and Benzema, the incumbent, at 11. Lewandowski's the only one that probably makes sense may move and is big enough for Real in my mind out of those top 11. I I think Aubameyang might be, but I think the timings are just all wrong. His last two and a half years of form suggest he definitely is, but the timings are all wrong. He'll be 29 by the time they can sign a striker and he's a striker who relies on pace. Yeah, and Paddy, I'm teeing you up here because I know your thoughts mm. to some extent, but I put Aubameyang in that second group of people well behind that top 11. So Martial, Dybala, Aubameyang, Akadi, Firmino, Lukaku, Murata. I'd probably have Aubameyang at the, definitely above a lot of those ladder names, but I actually I don't think he's world-class. I think he's a, he's a fantastic, instinctive striker. He's, uh, his record in the last two years, you mentioned Lewis, is incredible. You can't take that away from him, but I think... His composure is the one thing that lets him down. We've seen it time and time again. It, when Dortmund had scored against Bayern the other week and the game was really on a knife's edge and he had a one-on-one with Muller, uh, sorry, with Neuer, as soon as he thinks about it, that's where he struggles a bit, Aubameyang. And I think that's the difference for me on a world-class striker. He, I, I don't have any confidence with him when he's through on goal. 
Lewis looks like he's eating something very sour yeah, right now. I think Aubameyang, I, the, the big thing is his movement. Let's, it, we see strikers every week, good ones and bad ones, and it's harder to be in goal-scoring positions to find them regularly than to, to probably to actually finish. Um, that's that's probably the big skill and the big underrated skill is to find yourself in the six-yard box, find yourself through on goal. Um, otherwise, everyone would do it. Um Tell me a striker who doesn't miss one-on-ones against Manuel Neuer. No, but I think I think the the how often he does that. I think I've seen it time and again. It's, I think that's just one example, right? He, he has yeah, that's one it. example. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's just one example. Like I said, I think he's a terrific goal scorer. He scores ones that a lot of people would not um, because he doesn't think about it. But as soon as he tends to think about it, that's where I tend to find he lets himself down or he is let down, I guess. Yeah, yeah slightly away from the football pitch uh, this week. One of my favorite stories was what I referenced in the intro. Uh, I like game it between Celtic and Manchester City. Who throws a burger at a horse? A yeah. police horse. A police yeah. horse too. I have seen those police horses outside English football grounds. They are not to be messed with. And well, I'm a man who's afraid of horses. Yeah. Uh, so I got the uh, Greater Manchester City Police report and it said the problem wasn't the impact of the burger hitting the mare right in the kisser. It, the offensive part was the quality of said burger. <laughs> <laughs> Stadiums are culinary fault lines <laughs> upon which you don't build trust in terms of uh, warmth of the food, quality or taste. Just stay away. Why was he buying a burger at a football game in yeah. the first yeah. place? If you go into the football, you go to the toilet damn early, lest you sit up from the seat with a thousand germs on your butt and you don't buy food there. <laughs> and you go for pie anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All day. Of course, this is not the only animal to be attacked by a man this week. <laughs> Hit it, Damo. This could get dangerous. <laughs> Yes, that is the sound of a man punching a kangaroo. Paddy, Anthony, you're both from the Southern Hemisphere. Have you ever had to punch a kangaroo in, in the face? No, and like I, this bl- guy in the I bloody wouldn't either. Like, no. they are scary, scary, scary beasts. Is that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he. Uh, I think that guy was really just acting on instinct. He wanted to protect his dog, um, and I think you see when you watch the video, when he clocks the kangaroo, he stands back and. Both parties are as shocked as each other. Like the kangaroo's like, what just happened? Yeah. yeah. And and the man's like, I just punched a fucking kangaroo. Yeah. The World Wide Web has uh, raised and lowered the stocks of various things. Uh, it has lowered the stocks of Australian culture. Yeah. It's made us more available yeah. to the We're world. Like a, it's not a good thing. We are basically like a BuzzFeed list now. Yeah. It's like, what's happened now? Yeah. I, I don't know if any of you guys watch much boxing, but the kangaroo's footwork was sublime. Nice action. Yeah, <laughs> really, really great. But he leaned into that punch, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Champions League draw may not have come out this week, but something which did is a whole host of stories via football leaks. Lewis, what's the deal with these football leaks, dudes? Ah, well, um, they came about just over a year ago and decided that there's not enough transparency in football, which is something I think we can all agree with. Mm. Um I don't know how I feel exactly about one entity deciding they'll decide <laughs> which is which information is released and which isn't. But that's that's a dangerous. That's thing. another matter yeah. Yeah. Um, that we might come on to. I don't know. Um, yeah. So football leaks pretty much started releasing details between clubs and players, players and agents, clubs and agents, clubs and other clubs, clauses in contracts or transfer dealings and that kind of thing. Um, and they went quiet a few months ago. Benfica, I think, a couple of other Portuguese Correct. clubs yeah. had had accused them pretty much of using this information to extort money out of clubs or agents. Um, mm. Allegedly, accusing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so f- football leaks wouldn't 
said they wouldn't publish anything for the foreseeable future. And then last week, uh, Der Spiegel here in Germany and other publications all around Europe, I think the Sunday Times in Correct. the UK, yeah. um, have all undergone a huge investigation. These sort of reports that we see about alleged tax um, avoidance from footballers, from managers, clubs, whatever. Um, Der Spiegel had two front covers, one with Mesut Ozil and Cristiano Ronaldo for avoiding tax when they were playing for Real Madrid and Mesut Ozil since he left Real Madrid. And uh, yeah, football leaks have were were a part of the investigations, uncovering these things, and have now um, decided they're going to go off on their own and publish more stuff. It feels like every day at the moment on yeah. on different big name players from huge clubs. Do you have a favourite one so far? Yeah, as, as an Arsenal fan, my favourite would be that Liverpool are still quite upset about the Luis Suarez bid and John Henry's. A man that apparently holds a grudge, so Roberto Firmino can be bought for 98 million euros unless it's bid by Arsenal. <laughs> Do you guys feel at all that the, the thrill is gone with leaks? That there's no shocking, especially with tax avoidance? Yeah, it came the tax out last avoidance. week and I was in the Deutsche Welle newsroom and they said, We've got to go big on this. And I felt like the world's biggest cynic because I was thinking, do you really think they're going to pay their share of tax? I, 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 it's not a story that grabs me now when I hear that a footballer or any big corporation, but yeah, when I hear that a big footballer doesn't pay tax. I'd be surprised if a footballer came out and all of his finances showed that he was paying all of the tax he was If I to wanted pay. to know more stuff about the financials, it would be something like, who was on the list of England candidates? Who did they actually call and who registered interest in the affirmative? How many people did they call and they just said, yeah, no, I'm busy. I'm washing my hair for the next four years. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that offer of a lifetime, but you See, can that jam would be it. That's the, that's the stuff as football fans I think we'd like to know. I clubs, would you, dearly love. You know, who did my club bid for in the summer that they didn't get? Or why didn't they get him? Uh, not just, oh, he isn't paying taxes. Right. And on, that, on that crappy list that I wrote, I want to know what a club's list is and how they work from the bottom up to where the... Because that's how Arsenal do it. How can we get away with spending the least amount of money possible? And then who do you end up with? Sorry, poor joke. But uh, something like that. Who do they start with? How yeah. does that list get whittled down? Yeah, it's, it's, for me anyway, much more interesting. But there the, are still some... The Balotelli one is interesting. Yeah, the Balotelli one is. I think um, I've got some of the contract terms here. Um, basically, if um, during each season... Um, of the contract, um, the player is not dismissed from the field of play on three or more occasions for violent conduct, spitting at an opponent or any other person, using offensive, insulting or abusive language and or gestures and or for dissent by word or action, then um, every season he'll receive a bonus payment of £1 million. Now, it's interesting <laughs> to note there's two, That's there's, incredible. There's two things that are, that are interesting about this. First of all, that... That means he can spit at two people. <laughs> he loses his one million. But the thing is, he's actually. I actually had a look, and from memory, and I Google this. I don't think Balotelli, for all these grievances and all these crimes, has ever actually spat on anyone. But they've somehow yeah, why brought is that in there. Yeah, they've somehow brought this out um, among the you know offensive gestures, languages. Oh yeah, and yeah, don't spit on anyone. Just in mate. case he did. Yeah, in case, exactly. In case he, he, he looks like a spitter. He, he, he's yeah, gone through yeah. his contract. Yeah. There's a loophole. He yeah. spotted it. Oh, you know what, guys? I can still vent my rage by yeah. spitting at someone. And yeah. Don't you just want to measure that list against James Milner's? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Al Hadjouf would have ended up quite poor by the end of most seasons <laughs> when no, he was at Liverpool at least. No bonus for him. Yeah. Uh, there was a, my favourite, my personal favourite was the Daniel Agger deal with Bromby. Did anybody mm, hear yeah, about Yeah, that was this? cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the club agreed to give him a prominent pitch side ad during all home games and he used it to advertise, 
<clears throat> and he used it to advertise his dredging and sewage company, huh. which he co-owns with a brother and friend. The contract stated that the, he had the right to an LED system that would display his chosen ad for a distance of 215 meters for 27 seconds, eight times in each game. Wow. Good enough. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, can, can I say, and just going back to the original thing, Lewis, when you're saying, is it relevant, this sort of stuff, like, why the hell is that a leak? <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's kind an of interesting a, fact. Yeah, it's a that's, kooky detail. Yeah, but that's, it's, that's, that's a, a pub quiz question. Yeah, exactly. Which that's player, an interesting yeah. fact. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't call it a leak, you know, that, unless he's sewerage system leaks, which is obviously <laughs> bad news for everyone. But, like, that's 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 not no, a leak. That's leaks, just a fun I think, fact. I think the release clause is a leak. So, like, that's stuff that's interesting to know from a sure. sporting point of view. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the tax avoidance and but this. Are they, are they yeah. just mischief-making in, in some of this? You know, like, uh, I, I just don't know. Sometimes yeah. with vast amounts of information, like with a political lockup, you get the information of the state or federal budget and you get locked in a room for eight hours without your mobile phone. And you've got to go through 400 pages each. You get assigned into teams and, okay, you're on finance, you're on this, you're on these policies. Sounds good. Right. <laughs> and all you can do is just scan and look for a name of a place or something and so when it comes to players, I'm sure they're doing the same thing. It feels like football leaks have run out of the office and they're tweeting the stuff they can remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if there is one positive that came from this is that it, uh, it's, it's added a new dimension to the Ronaldo and Messi debate. Now fans can not only argue over who's a better player, but also who's a better tax cheat. Well, uh, it looks like it's Ronaldo because he's been cleared up to this point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Allegedly. No, no, he has been cleared up to this point. Yeah. Oh, okay. You just don't have to add allegedly. I'm yeah. just saying someone's been cleared. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to keep us covered. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Now, last week we wanted a cry crisis for Manchester United, but the win over West Ham scuppered that. However, a draw against Everton means crisis talks are back on. To help us get to the bottom of that and where it's going wrong for Manchester United, we have Sam Peoples from the People's Person on the line. Sam, I want to get back to Everton in a minute, but first of all, your reaction to United making it through to the Europa League. Is it the worst thing to happen to the club since Massimo Taibi? No. no it's, it's a European competition. We've never won it. I want to win it. And I want United to get... Athletic Bilbao or Schalke in the next round because I really want to have a nice trip in February. You're not worried that it's gonna it's gonna distract from any sort of title bid at all or potential title bid? Nah, looking at the table, maybe that's our best route into the Champions League. Sam, I got to ask Schalke or the the Ruhr pot in February. <laughs> um, have you been before? Because <laughs> you said have, nice have trip. We played who? Uh, the Ruhr pot where Schalke. If you were to go to Schalke in February. Um, it might not be the uh, the great trip, the great away trip you're imagining. It's, it's not exactly <laughs> yeah. the jewel of the uh, of the the German territories. Gelsenkirchen is probably one of the worst parts of the rule. <laughs> oh no, it's, it's because I've got a, a a good friend who's a season ticket holder. Uh, ah, good, so good. All right. Just just wanted not to, actually the location. Just wanted <laughs> to temper your expectations a little bit, mate. <laughs> So the game against Everton saw uh, a Manchester United side that many see as his strongest side, yet they still came away with a draw. Was that just down to the clumsiness of Fellaini or is there, do you think there's a wider mental problem within the squad, Tom? Um, it's a wider issue of the fact that Man United against Stoke at home, against Burnley, no, against Stoke at home, Arsenal at home, uh, now this Everton game here, there's three games where we've had a 1-0 lead and instead of pushing for a second, uh, we've tried to sit and soak pressure up. Like, it's classic Mourinho. It's what he did at Chelsea, Inter, Porto, Real Madrid. And he had the players to do it. Carvalho, 
um, Samuel, Terry, just arseholes in defence that just they they wouldn't they wouldn't let a late goal in. You could be happy with a one nil lead because you you know you're going to hold on to it. But United are just a bit weak at the moment um, in defence. Eric Bay being out really hasn't helped us. Uh, well, it really hasn't because he's by far and away our best centre back. And it's just we're a bit fragile. And teams now know going into the last 15 minutes of the game against Man United, if you're losing one nil, you've got a chance of getting a draw, which is a complete full circle from the Fergie days. Uh, it's the stats are standing. United have dropped seven points from uh, goals conceded in the last ten minutes of the Premier League game. It, it's really not something I would have expected from a Mourinho side. Is is it just the qual the lack of quality within the squad? I think it's uh, there's a few reasons. First of all, finishing wise, um, Zlatan might be on thirteen goals out of twenty in twenty two appearances, but he could have easily been towards twenty by now. And I'm not talking half chances. I'm talking clear cut. You'd expect someone like Zlatan to score it. But that's me being overcritical of one player because everybody's finishing has been poor from Rashford when he was put square through against West Ham and he missed to Mkhitaryan before he got his first goal. There's everybody, Pogba, his finishing has been poor. Uh, that's one of the big reasons. Second of all, um, is tactically in the last 20 minutes of games, instead of going for a second and killing it like we did against Zoria, uh, we've just, we're going defensive. And it's not a surprise on the Mourinho, but I just don't think the players are good enough at the moment for it. And surely that's the last we'll see of Fellaini in the United shirt, right? Uh, I didn't want to see Fellaini in the United shirt for that game. The fact that he has somehow accumulated 100 appearances for the club when he was a panic buyer signing because Moyer has failed to sign Fabregas. He's just, he's a relic in the Moyer's era. He's not, a good, he's not good enough to be a United player. Never was. And we've got so many better players in every single position that Fellaini plays in that there's no way he should ever play for us again. And lo and behold, he came off the bench against Zoria. So what do I know? <laughs> Sam, it's, it's always good to get you grumpy again. You were in a bit too much of a good mood at the start, I guess, after the Europa League. But most of the time we get you on here after a loss. So it's good to hear you talk dirty about uh, Fellaini there. No, yeah, fuck Fellaini. Say that. Good. <laughs> sure, it's said. It's said. <laughs> uh, we, we might bleep it out, but anyway, um, one of the things that struck me over the last few weeks, uh, Sam, is that when Mourinho was brought in in the summer, um, those press conferences he gave, he seemed to lack that sort of bite of all that vigor. And I thought maybe oh, is he worried about the image of the club or you know Bobby Charlton and he's you know kind of dumbing it down a bit. But now I wonder, was that an early sign that the Mourinho of old is gone? And has he lost his mojo a bit? It seems to be a real concern amongst Manchester United fans. It is not a concern of the slightest among Manchester United fans. It is <laughs> the hopes and prayers of the press and the media that Mourinho... The, the, the thing is, is, when you piss that many people off on your way to the top, it's going to be dirty when you fall down the ladder. And it's exactly what's happening with Mourinho right now and Man United in the last three years. And the reality check we've had with Van Howe and Moyes. And everybody's loving it apart from Man United fans and Mourinho won the league 18 months ago he's not dead and buried I mean Guardiola has never won the Premier League maybe he's dead and buried uh, but Mourinho it's not gone to plan so far but the football I've seen under Mourinho is lightning years ahead of anything we saw under Van Howe or Moyes and when our finishing improves and defensively we look a little bit more sound which I suppose you could say about every team in football oh you know if my aunt had balls, blah, blah, blah. But United are on the verge of clicking. And when we click, we're going to be one of the best teams in the Premier League. And I, I consider United a bit of a sleeping giant right now. Everybody's writing us off. Dangerous. Dangerous. But the quality of the players we've got in this squad. Uh, I, 
Sam is Lewis here. I think to be fair, you're you're right on some of that there, like Burnley, Stoke, um arguably Arsenal, West Ham. Those games, United, you play that game ten times and United would win it eight times. The, the players have played well, but the results haven't matched. But do you not think this season now it's too far gone for the league, maybe even for the top four? I think the league's gone. Not because, I mean, if you look at it, I think we're 11 points. How many points are off? We are 13 points off Chelsea. Uh, but it's not the fact that we're 13 points off Chelsea. It's the fact that you've got Arsenal, Liverpool and City. So we're, we're not chasing one team. There's four teams who look strong above us, plus Spurs as well. So I think the title's not going to happen this season. But I think it was always tough to do it in this first season because this is a tough job. Um Nobody was going to ever be able to replace Fergie. And the expectations that come with this job and the expectations that come with Mourinho, combining those two and with the money he spent this summer, everybody expected instant results like football manager. Um, reality is it's not that easy. And had we been seeing really poor performances, scraping 1-0 wins, and we'd been further up the table, you would have got a lot more frustrated Man United fans. But what we're seeing is Mourinho bedding himself in, the players starting to play properly. Pogba's really growing an influence. Everyone's going to say he hasn't got enough goals and assists, but as Man United fans, we've seen how good he is. Mkhitaryan has now got over his slump at the start and is looking like the Bundesliga player of the year and he's playing for United now. I mean, I do think the title race is gone. Top four, absolutely not. If we beat Spurs this weekend, we're three points behind them and then the teams above us will inevitably slip up at some point, especially Liverpool. Uh, but Man United need to make sure that we pounce on those opportunities because we've had some already this season, but we failed to take advantage of them. Yeah, you mentioned Spurs. Uh, it used to be that they would, you know, fold faster than Superman on laundry day, uh, especially against United. It's going to be a tougher game this weekend, though, right? Yeah, I mean, you saw what Spurs did to City at White Hart Lane. They took them apart and sort of burst Guardiola's bubble, which was quite nice. I remember Tottenham Hotspur last year when Timothy Fosu Mensa, uh, 18-year-old academy player, made his full debut at right back and he was dominant and he got taken off and then all of a sudden we collapsed and we really got pumped by Spurs then. Going into this game, um, it's Tottenham's pressing game. They play the same as um, same as Liverpool, same as City. And that's that's seemingly the, in, that's the hipster thing in the Premier League right now is pressing. And the way that Man United negated that with Liverpool was going a bit more direct. But in that game, our attacking a threat wasn't there because Latan and Pogba both have four games. If we operate the same thing against Spurs and our attack has a better game, we can win that. We can easily win it. But Spurs are a good team and Harry Kane's back in form now. A quick prediction then before we let you go? Prediction, I think it's going to be a war of attrition. I think it's going to be... Oh, I don't want it to be a school draw. I'm going to go... 1-0 United is going to finally be the 1-0 that Mourinho has been craving for. That was Sam Peoples from the People's Person. 100 games for Marrow and Fellaini. I think there was all a sharp intake of breath in the studio when we heard that. Never give up your dreams. Yeah. Here's to 100 more. Yeah. My next WikiLeak, I want to know, when's the point the club blames Mourinho? When, when's it your <laughs> yeah. team, mate? When's it your fault? Yeah, and when do football fans stop thinking that winning the transfer window means anything? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Klopp said it best, I think, with that transfer window when they asked him, I think at the start of October, what the, the plans were for the transfer window. And he said, I don't know why you guys are so obsessed with it. We have 15 games until that happens. You know, It's a good point. Yeah. 
Okay. Danny Israf was in New York last time we talked to him. This weekend he's in London living it up. But I caught up with him earlier in the week to talk about the upcoming MLS Cup final between Seattle Sanders and Toronto FC. Here's what he had to say. So Danny, Seattle Sanders and Toronto FC are in the MLS Cup final this Saturday or Sunday, depending on what part of the world you find yourself in. It's not the final we were expecting, is it? No, not at all. In fact, if you listen to our uh, MLS playoff preview episode, uh, you, you, you would know that we got basically all wrong. Who um, did we go for? Well, I, I think I had Red Bulls and Colorado. Oh. Andre said Toronto. He said it wasn't going to happen. He said he wanted Toronto, but it wasn't going to happen. Anyways, the point is, yeah. uh, no one was expecting this. And that's kind of part of the fun of MLS and the playoffs and, and their famous parody where they want all the teams to be equal so that you get surprises like this. Um, Toronto finished third in the East and uh, Seattle were fourth in the West. So it's incredible that they're meeting in the final. Toronto, of course, one of the most sport-mad cities north of Mexico and one of the cities to really embrace MLS. You get the sense that this would really mean a lot to them if, if they were to come out on top. I don't know if you saw, but if you, if you watch the highlights of their second leg against Montreal where they came back from uh, 3-2 down in the first leg to it was all square. I was, busy, I was busy that night. Okay, fair enough. Washing my hair. Um, but anyways, they won 5-2 they won on the night. It was raining and BMO Field, their stadium was packed. I have never seen an atmosphere like that in MLS, um, or, or in most places for that matter. Uh, so, so I think the, the energy will be absolutely fantastic in the stadium. And, and Toronto, which really is of, of the MLS cities, quite a football mad um, city up there in Toronto, in, in, in Canada, they, they'd go absolutely crazy. Is it the same in Seattle? Yeah, Seattle, absolutely. I, I think it's two of the, the best fan bases in, in MLS, no question. Or Seattle have the, the biggest attendance in the league. Um, and, and I'm sure they'll have tremendous traveling support as well. Uh, of course, the game will be played in Toronto. And it's meant to be a very cool minus three come kickoff. And then you have that nasty, nasty wind whipping in from Lake Ontario. Will that play into Toronto hands or do you think Seattle will be able to handle it at all? I don't think the weather, the, the conditions will be such a big thing. I think, I mean, it's not like Seattle are coming from uh, Texas or Florida or something right. like that. They're, 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 they're used to cold, um, wet conditions. I think more than that, it's the atmosphere that, that I alluded to that um, the, the Toronto fans can put on their BMO field. And that's what will help Toronto. I think uh, five of seven games that have been played at uh, the, the, the stadium of a team in MLS final have been won by that team. So, so the home team comes out on top more often than not. What's the deal with not using a neutral venue? They, they did it for a while, and then they switched uh, a couple of years ago to, to give a bigger advantage to the team that finished higher in the, in, in the regular season. Huh. Yeah. How do you feel? It seems a bit odd to me. Sort of goes against, yeah. goes against what I think should be right. It, it, it's a bit strange. I think it, at some point you want to reward teams for what they've done in the regular season. Because otherwise, it kind of comes to. Isn't qualification enough? Yeah, it is. I don't know. I, I, I think the, the nice thing about having it at a neutral venue is the kind of event feeling that you get, like the Super Bowl or something like that. Right. Um, but then, you're, you know, it kind of always ends up in the same places because you're in the warm weather stadiums. If, for example, you'd never choose a neutral venue in Toronto. Okay. But I think you'll see that the atmosphere there mm -hmm. will, will be phenomenal and, and um, kind of adds to the whole spectacle. 
in it, a way that having it at a neutral site couldn't. Is that is that part of why they do it there to kind of just you know that because the cell is so important to MLS to kind of get uh, other American sports fans on side sure. that they need to make it look like a raucous, crazy atmosphere, which somewhere like Toronto or or any home venue would would more naturally have than say a, uh, a neutral uh, venue. I, I think that's definitely part of part of the thinking, and I think they they've achieved that. Um, I think if you watch the MLS playoffs, the, the, the atmospheres are normally great. Okay. The um, Keeping with the Toronto team, Greg Vanny is quite interesting, the, the Toronto coach. He looked set for the chop earlier this season, managed to hold on to his job, got the right mix in the side via his three-five-two formation and is now set for cup glory. Go, Greg. Yeah, yeah, no, he's really turned things around. Um, it's interesting, Toronto have sort of a tumultuous on-pitch history. Oh yeah, uh, uh, no manager. They've had some, nine managers, I think, in their eight years in the league. And Vanny, who's lasted now two years, has already lasted longer than any <laughs> any any previous one. Um, and he's really found a formula that works. He's he's got the right players in. He's got them all on board. And um, there's actually a funny little tidbit about Vanny. Oh yeah. After he retired, he was a player in MLS, and after he retired, he went and did some uh, before he went into coaching some color commentary work on local TV in Seattle for the Sounders. Okay. Little little known tidbit, so a little uh, intrigue. So he's to, almost to got his there. foot in two camps. Wow. I would say he's he's pretty firmly in the Toronto camp, but almost. Are we expecting to see the one of the world's most premier rappers turn up at the game in his jewels with a jersey on? It, it's been a subject of uh, of of some speculation actually. Um obviously oh, I mean, really? he's no no yeah sure he's a he's a actually a big football fan. Yeah. Um, I've him seen him in the running Avengers. around the world wearing every kit known yeah. to man. Okay. Uh, and a huge huge guy in Toronto. So I think there's a there's a possibility, I think. It seems only right he should be there. He should be there for sure. For this, for the Toronto's just winning at everything at the moment, and if if Drake Drake were to be there, I think that would just be the cherry on top. What else are they winning at? Uh, well, they've got they're winning at music. They got a ton of the the weekend, a ton of musicians at the moment. Oh yeah, and okay. the, their basketball team's pretty good. Okay, definitely, uh, you know, one of the top teams in the East. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Toronto's just a it's a kind of buzz buzz city at the moment. I once spent the summer in Vancouver, which is. A beautiful part of the world. It's also in Canada. It's also in Canada. Uh, otherwise, pretty unrelated to Toronto. Otherwise, it's on unrelated. the other side of the country. My friends, <laughs> uh, some friends of mine spent a similar uh, summer, or the, the, that, that actual summer in, in Toronto. They loved it. Great city. So it gets the, gets the big thumbs up. Yeah. If Toronto are to stop Nicholas Ladero, who is one of Seattle's key players, of course, is that the end of Seattle's hopes of taking the title? Yeah, I think they, they would be a, that would be a big step for them. I mean, Ladero, since he came in midway through the season from, from Boca Juniors, he's, he's basically uh, turned Seattle's season around. In fact, before he arrived, they lost 12 out of 21 games. And since he's been there, they've only lost 3 out of 18. Wow. Um, so he's just done incredible things. I mean, he's a wonderful little uh, left-footed playmaker who really pulls most of the strings for Seattle. They don't have a lot of other... Uh, weapons in attack, and if um, Toronto can 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 shut him down and condense the space with their their three five two, the spaces that he likes to operate in, then uh, th- that'll take them a long way towards the tunnel. That's their best way of doing it: is shutting down that space. Yeah, he likes to pick up the ball. It's sort of a traditional South American number ten kind of spaces. Um, and Michael Bradley, I think, will be tasked with running around and making sure he doesn't see so much of it. The Toronto equivalent might be Josie Altidore. 
Josie Alta, yeah, I mean Josie, he's been on on flames actually recently. He scored five goals already in the uh, in the playoffs. So definitely not your um, Premier League version, Josie Altador. It's Josie uh, 2.0. Josie 2.0, let's yeah. call him. Um, yeah, he's been really good. I think uh, Seattle are actually pretty well well equipped to deal with him it, with Chad Marshall and uh, Roman Torres. They have some some big experienced center backs. The the bigger worry uh, for me, if I were Seattle, would be Jovinko, who is you know, phenomenal. I think the best player in MLS by by a country mile. Our atomic ant. The atomic ant, exactly. He didn't win the uh, MVP award, though. He didn't. He actually wasn't even among the uh, the finalists. He wasn't in the shortlist of of three players. But I think by consensus, he's he's the best player in the league. He was injured at times this season, uh, and I think that prevented him from from getting there onto the list. David Villa, of course, walked off with the MVP award, which means he's up there with all the greats, including Carlos Valderrama, 1996. There we are. Taylor Twellen in 2005. Marco Echeverri in 1998. And former Everton and Portsmouth forward Preki, 1997-2003. Who's still around, yeah. He is still around, isn't he? He does some, yeah, some commentary on TV, a little analysis. Right. Sorts of stuff. I can't imagine Everton and Portsmouth fans have too much of a memory of him. He was... Reasonably unsuccessful, I think, at the clubs. No, but that's the beautiful thing about America, right? You can go and reinvent yourself <laughs> as as uh, as someone new, as work for Donald Trump. Um, where will the game be won and lost? So I think what ends up happening in these MLS games, especially, is is that it's not really determined. But there there aren't you know sort of defined patterns of play that emerge throughout the game. It's more these little moments, so either mistakes or set pieces or. Or, or moments of inspiration from players like Jovinko or Ladero. And I think that's what will make the difference in the end. It's not one of those where whoever wins the midfield battle will control the game and, and, and they'll decide it. I think with the, with the atmosphere, with the energy, with the cold, the conditions and everything there, it'll be one or two little moments um, that, that make all the difference. And who's going to win? Give us your final prediction. You know we love a prediction on this podcast. I normally get them wrong, but I'll <laughs> go with... Uh, 2-1 for Toronto. I just think the, the home crowd will, will help them over the line. That was Danny Isroff speaking to me earlier this week and that's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy Lewis, Anthony, Danny, Sam and our producer Damien. If you've anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch you can hit us up on Facebook at One Football, or you can get onto iTunes and give us that rating. Thanks for listening.